Now, we're starting a new series today called Grace, not Grace, called Foundation. And uh, we're going to be talking about just some fundamental things within our faith, things that, these are things that you just ought to know. Um, that if you are a believer, these are just some foundational truths and principles that every believer ought to know. Um, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to, you know, be schooled in all the ways of seminarians and things of that nature. But just some fundamental teachings that are helpful for every believer so that you are certain uh, about what you know. Or as the old schoolers would say, so that you know that you know that you know. And, um, and these are just some things. So today we're going to be talking uh, about, um, about grace. What I would say, adding to that, is it's definitely a great series and great teaching, man, for you to invite somebody. So I encourage you, man, to continue to be inviters, uh, to discover those people in your circles, your friends, family members, whomever, um, that they can um, invite them to, uh, to be a part. And then last thing before we dive into the message, uh, I, I haven't even shared this with, with Matt or with any of the staff up to this point, but it's something that I, I think that I want to do. I've been trying to figure out how can we be a blessing to the community during a hot holiday season. And so we spent the last couple of weeks trying to figure out, initially my thought was, let's, let's set this sanctuary up really nice banquet style and do like a really classy Thanksgiving dinner for our neighbors. And uh, But I was trying to get some assistance for us to do that. I couldn't work it out. And then I got a phone call two days ago. And, uh, and I want to drop this in on you because I want to hear from you your response if it's something that you like to do. Um, there's something that we did some years ago where we turned and converted the sanctuary into like a department store. And, um, and we brought in stuff that people need and would actually like. So like not, not, not the clothes that you have not yet thrown away. Or, you know, not things like that, but stuff that is still, you know, it's still fairly nice, usable. Like, you know, if you had dropped about five pounds, you could put it on. Things like that. You know, I'm talking about myself. I'm not trying to offend again. I am going so terrible today. All right. So, anyway, anyway. So, what I'm saying is that we can, we can set this place up like a department store. And, I mean, it could be a number of things from clothes to electronics to just stuff that you got laying around. Um, that you know you're not going to do anything with it. Like you've been staring in that closet at those outfits for years, and you're not going to put them on. Those shoes, you've been looking at them. You only wore them a few times, and there are people in this community who could use it. So I would love to set this place up. What we did before is we gave every person like Monopoly money, and, um, and we let them come in the door, and act, they actually acted like they were shopping. And we had live music for them. We had refreshments and stuff. And we acted as though we were department store employees, and we helped people shop. So drop that in on you. Let me know if there's something you like to do, and, um, and then we can talk more about how we can pull it off. It would be like our, our Black Friday for the community. And um, we give them the opportunity, toys and things for people and parents to come in uh, to shop for their kids. You could even, if you wanted to buy something, you could bring it in as a gift to the community. But it would be empowering, but also blessing a blessing to the community. So just dropping that in on you. Uh, let me hear your thoughts. Email me, text me, whatever communication you got for me. And let's figure out, man, if there's something we like to do. And, uh, and I'll wait to hear from uh, the staff because I didn't share that with them before I mentioned it before you guys. <laughs> All right. Come on, let's pray. Let's dive into the word today. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And I thought about it, Lord, so much this week in preparation for this message. 
God, I pray that I can convey to your people, Lord, what you laid so heavily upon my heart. Lord, that we could fall in love with you all over again. That we could see how you've been actively working and pursuing us. And for someone, Lord, who may be here today who's yet to profess their faith and hope in you, Lord, that they will see you more. So I pray, God, that right now you would hide me behind Calvary's cross, Lord, that the people may see more and more of you and less of me, and that your will be done in this place. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we closed service with a song that we did know the words to. And it's an old school song called Amazing Grace. I don't know if you guys remember that week. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought about that, that wonderful hymn that so many of us know. Um, if you're like me, or maybe you're not, I, I've only recently gained an appreciation for hymns. Um, I, I, I really didn't like them a lot, not until I began to learn the stories behind the hymns. For instance, that, that song, Amazing Grace, that every person, every believer, believer or not, people all over the world just know the words to that hymn. Uh, it's so powerful to me now, not because of the words itself, even though I do understand grace, but man, when I understood the story behind why John Knox penned those words, man, it means so much to me. The story goes that John Knox was in the British Navy, and, um, and he was actually held captive. He was, he was captive in, in war. And um, as he was held captive, they was on a ship by whomever it was that held them captive. It doesn't mention that, but it says that a storm hits the boat. And all of a sudden, the captor, his captors didn't know what to do. And the storm eventually led to his freedom. And he says, I remember that day for the rest of my life. And every year, I celebrate on March 10th. Because that was the day that the Lord came from on high and delivered me from the deep waters and from my captivity. So he says he wakes up every year on March 10th and thanks God for his deliverance, for his amazing saving grace. And it was that moment that inspired him to write the words that we know so dearly to amazing grace. My question for you is this, um, how many times have you awakened, have you gotten up in the morning and thanked God for his grace? I mean, how many times have you reflected on something that God has done, how good God has been, that it put you in a position, in a place to where you could barely move without spending some time and just thanking God for his amazing grace. Now, I don't say that to be condemning because there's something that as I was studying and preparing for today, I found myself being convicted all the more because it's rare that I ever spend some time doing the same. But I would think that when you truly understand how amazing, how truly amazing God's grace 
is, not was, how good it is that we would all find ourselves on a regular basis in a posture and a position where we are constantly giving God thanks. When you will recognize how amazing his grace is, all of a sudden the issues, the problems, the, 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 the struggles of life, although they may seem intense at the moment, when you think about his grace, his grace ought to trump those issues time and time again because it is indeed just that amazing. I love propaganda, the uh, hip-hop rapper, a uh, gospel rapper. He says this, if grace isn't amazing, then you don't know what, ama- what grace is. It should always, it should always pierce through the uttermost of our hearts and make us feel and move us in a certain type of way. When's the last time, man? That you were faced with something, that you heard something, that you sang a song, that you encountered a situation, and you saw what the Lord had done when you reflected on his goodness. When is the last time when grace hit you so hard that you just found yourself in almost a perpetual state of praise, just, just thanking God? Have you ever been in a car and a song just hit you so good? Man, that you, you found yourself just praising God loudly. All of a sudden, you don't care who looks at you. You don't care if they see that you're rolling your neck, closing your eyes at the light. It's like, have you ever just got so caught up just thinking about the goodness of God, the grace of God? I'm telling you, sometimes it can get so good that you don't even care. I look at some, y'all sometimes, man, in here worshiping. I love one church because y'all really know how to worship. Y'all, I heard y'all singing with Tracy just right there. I looked at your faces. Sometimes your faces get real ugly. And you know when your face is ugly, that's when it's real, real good, right? Yeah, when your face gets all turned up and you just, you just don't care. You got that stank face just where, you know, mm, it's like something smells bad. But you're really feeling it because you're really reflecting on how good God is. Man, his grace should move you like that, man. Just thinking about the fact that we serve a God who sits on high, who was sinless and saw us in our sinful state. And rather than leaving us to our own devices, he sent his son to lead a perfect life, to come for us, to save us, to die and suffer on Calvary's cross to defeat death, to get up, and that we might have eternal life. When I think about that story and the fact of how sinful I am, now I ain't even thinking about you, my own sin. When I think about the fact that God has looked ab- above and beyond my own sin and saved me, man, that means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. Grace is amazing. And there's a lot of things, man, that we're going to teach you. Over the next few weeks, there's a lot of things that's going to mean something to you. But here's the thing. If you can get grace, I mean, if you can really get grace, I'm not going to say the rest of it doesn't matter. I'm just telling you, the rest of it will come easy. If you can understand grace. Man, it'll be moving for you. So let, let me read the passage for you. Here's what I want to do. Don't put it on the screen, Balaji. Just leave it as is. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, I'm going to read it, and, and I want you just to, to close your eyes for a moment, and, and I want you to let it wash over you. I want you to hear these words. And, um, and this is coming from the classic verse on what this is about, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Just, just do me a favor. Just, just, just humor me for a moment. Just close your eyes. Let, this, let these words that Paul writes wash over you for a moment. And if your eyes are open, God's going to get you, by the way. Just let you know. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I have got to stop playing today. All right. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to these words. And you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires in the body of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for our good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Somebody say amazing grace. And grace is one of those topics that I don't think that we can talk enough about. It's kind of like the love of God. Like we can, we can never, I don't care how long you've been in church, I don't care how much you know, we can never talk enough about God's grace because we can never talk about how, uh, how great God's love is. It's something that we should talk about, something that should be discussed over and over again. And no matter how long you've been in church, as often as possible, you need to know that God loves you. And if God loving you is the what, then the way it is expressed, or one of the ways that it is expressed, the how is by way of his grace. God and his grace is an expression of his love, knowing that God loves us. It's what makes it so amazing. It's the beginning point. And I always look at it like this, man. There's, there's something special about loving but there's something uniquely special about being loved. And the beginning of understanding God's love, God's grace, is not necessarily professing your love for God because what we find in Romans in chapter 5, what Paul teaches us is that while we were still sinners, before we made a change, before we recognized what God was doing, before God imparted, before he came into our lives, God was already working on our behalf. While we were still in our sin, God came for us. In his grace, he came for us, understanding that we are loved. That, that's, that's what's special. That's what's special. I always think about this. I know I've shared this before, but, but I remember, man, just when, when my daughter, when she used to like me, when she was much smaller, and, and I remember, I remember, man, when, when coming home, maybe some of you all who have small kids, you still get this, cherish the days, trust me, that when the keys would hit the door, when I would open the door, and I would hear the pitter-patter of little feet when I walked in the door, she'd run to me, calling my name, just screaming because she was so happy. And I remember how that made me feel because knowing that that little human being who came from 
for me and my wife that she loved me so much, man. How it did my heart so, so good. It's special being loved. I mean, loving is great, but being loved, knowing that you are loved is something great. And knowing that this God who has every right to distance himself from us, every right to punish us because sin has overcome so much of us, to know that this God who loves us so much, he looks beyond our faults and our flaws, and he loves us. Man, that's, that's uniquely special. That's, that's the beginning of grace. And so let, let, me, let me move on. Let's define a couple of things real quickly. Um, I always like to give you definitions so that you know what we're talking about. And so the definition of grace, the, the easiest and simplest definition to me is basically this. Um, they call it unmerited favor. Basically, unmerited favor is the fact that favor and grace can be interchangeable. Basically, that you have the favor of God, the love of God, that you get the benefits of having God but you don't earn it. Like, it's nothing. Uh, Christianity is not a meritocracy. You don't, it's not like our world. It's not like you go to your job and you work 40 hours and you receive grace. That's not what God does. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. You simply receive it because God gives it. And something about grace, let me let you know something about grace. Um, Salvation is available through faith to those who believe, but grace is, is available to all. Let me say that one more time. Salvation is available to those who believe through faith, but grace is available to all. There are some who will never profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who receive the grace of God just like you and I. Because it's not earned. It's not about our actions. It's not based on merit. It is simply based upon the fact that God loves each and every one of us as his creation. All of us who are created in the image of God are recipients of the grace of God. Similarly, not just those who would never profess, God's grace was on you before you came. And the only reason that you're here today is because God's grace would not allow you to go too far away from him. His grace came for you, called you in. So, unmerited favor, everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. And so, we get this relationship with God. We get to be recipients, beneficiaries of His love and all that comes with it because of His grace, because He loves us so much. But there's three quick things. Since I was in my Baptist flow this morning, I I got three points and I'm going to take my seat. Uh, The first thing I'm going to give you is our previous condition. Say our previous condition. All right, so check this out, man. Paul pulls no punches to this. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You were dead in the trespasses of sin. Listen, when he talks about dead there, he's not talking about literally lifeless, like having no breath in your body. What Paul is arguing, or he's sharing with us there, is that death in this sense is spiritual when we are separated from God. And when you are separated from God, your life source, Paul says, at that point, you were dead. You were separated from God and the trespasses and sins when you once walked following the course of this world. That's pretty good to understand, but I need you to grasp the fact that Paul right here is speaking specifically to believers and he's talking past tense. So you were once dead. 
When you followed, there's, 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 there's a lot of past tense language in this, which means that for some of us who are still living, not necessarily I'm not talking about behavior, but in spirit, so many of us who are followers of Christ are still embodying, believing in our spirit that we are still in our previous condition. What you need to know is that grace saved you from that part. So when the enemy speaks to you condemnation, look at Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in the Lord who follow Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. Condemnation is not yours. But the enemy speaks those lies into our hearts, into our minds, making us to believe that that idea of us or that identity of our past selves still exists. But Paul is saying, no, brothers and sisters, you once were. You once were, you are not that now. You are not that now. And I, I would think, some of you are like, you know, we, we know this, but you, you just don't know, man, probably how many people are in this room or how many people you know who follow Jesus, who go to church each and every day, who still receive and accept that identity, that condition as something that is present for them. And they don't know that it is a previous, a past condition. It is not something that you are up under now. God saved you. Grace called you out of that. You once were dead, but my brothers and sisters, you are alive in Christ right now. That's your past condition. But also, you got to understand, man, that our God is smart. Now, God understands how everything came to be, that it wasn't just about our dead, and it was also about the fact and the reality of how we got there. He says, when you, let me read it for you. When you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, basically you were under the influence, under the influence. The reasons why we were dead, the reason why we followed the course is because we were under the influence of something. So I, I thought about this. Um, I, 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 um, um, I, I got like a, 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 lot, a lot of cousins. got a pretty big family. Uh, my mom and sisters, there's eight of them, and they got a bunch of kids. So it's like 20, 30 something of us cousins in our generation. I've never counted. It's a whole lot of us, right? All right. So um, there, there's, there's this, like, it goes on for a while, but then there's, like, a significant gap in ages. Uh, I, I am, I'm the youngest of, like, the first stage of cousins in the boys. I'm, I'm the youngest. And then there's, like, an eight-year gap before the next one comes. The rest of us is, like, you know, one, two, three three years all between. Um, so I'm the youngest, and so for, for years I was, I was the youngest boy, right? And, um, and so that meant that I looked up to my older cousins, and we were so close, everybody thought we were all brothers and sisters, um, that I was also the guinea pig for all things. And you guys are laughing because y'all got younger siblings, right? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, there are things that you make the youngest do. Y'all remember the Kicks commercial? And it, yeah, 30 and up, 30 and up, maybe 35 and up. The Kicks commercial, what, what, what did Mikey do? He, he likes it, right? He, I, was, I was that anything that they could think of to get me to do or try, I was the person who did it. So if they wanted to try to taste something, rather than them doing it, they call me. Uh, if they wanted to do something dangerous that might potentially hurt, somebody, they call me. You know, if they wanted to sneak or, you know, whatever it was, I was the one who did everything. They influenced me to do a lot. Mama, I didn't do all that stuff myself. I'm telling you, they, they made me do it. <laughs> the devil made me do it. No. Uh, but they, they influenced my reality so much that 
I was so seeking their approval that oftentimes I would then go and offer myself so that they would accept me. And this is what it's like, man, when you are under the influence, when you are following the prince of the power of the air. You are under the influence, and sometimes, man, you, you love what comes from it, that you will oftentimes give yourself to it just so that you can have something to call your own or just so that you could receive the benefits of whatever it may be at that moment or you actually enjoy it. And I love this because sometimes Christians, we are so deep and we lie so much. Uh, because we act as though we didn't have fun sinning or we don't have fun sinning. We act like, oh, ooh, I was so miserable when I was out there sinning. Oh, Lord have mercy. I just, ooh, I just, I was, a, and the reality is, man, no. Man, yeah, you had a ball. You enjoyed it. And it wasn't that you discovered that sin was so bad, but that you discovered that God was so good. That's what changed you. So for, for parents or for people, whomever, if you're discipling somebody, the way to teach them of the ways of God is not to point out just how what, what, what sin ultimately does. You want them to know that, man, but you, you show them God's goodness. God's goodness will make the sin seem worthless. But if you constantly point out people's flaws, I mean, we all grew up in the era and the age of fire and brimstone preaching. And after a certain time, we all discovered, listen, uh, I remember, man, one of my professors, Dave Adams, Dave Adams said that when he was in school, man, he went to a little Christian school. And the teacher told him that if Dave, he was acting up one day, she said, Dave, if you don't behave, uh, you're going to get in trouble and you're going to go to hell. Dave thought about it for a moment. He was a middle school boy and middle schoolers all need Jesus. And so Dave thought about it for a moment and he said, you know what? That's okay, Mrs. Such-and-Such. If I go to hell, I'll be fine because all my friends are going to be there. And I feel like, man, that's what happens with so many of us is that we recognize that hell and the issues are, or the, the results of sin, the penalty of sin in our finite minds does not seem to be that bad because everybody's doing it. So I'll kind of be okay. So the fire and brimstone teaching doesn't work. Warning people about the consequences. Consequence theology is never the route to go. It's about pointing out God's goodness and God's grace and the fact that no matter where you are, no matter what you were doing, God never turned his back on you. He was pursuing you even when you thought that you couldn't touch him, you couldn't trace him, you could always understand. You will eventually know that God has been there the entire time. That's your previous condition, but God has always, been here. So that, that lends us then to our, our, our present position. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God being rich in mercy. I, I love the contrast there, right? You, you were dead in the trespasses of sin when you were following the course of this world. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Sin seemed to have a hold on us, but God is rich in mercy. There's a difference between grace and mercy. You know that, right? 
I always think, man, some of these old teachings that we've kind of forsaken because we're so smart, but you need to know there's a difference, man. Mercy is God withholding things that ought to happen. Grace is God giving those things which we don't deserve. So mercy, mercy is God keeping something back. God is, grace is God giving something to us. And so what he's arguing here is, but God being rich in mercy, God saw that we were dead in our trespasses in sin. And rather than allowing us to feel the full effects or the ramifications of our sin, God withheld that from us. He kept that from us. So that means this. If God is rich in mercy and the language there, rich right there, the language speaks to the fact not that he like has a whole lot of it. But the language there is that he has a never-ending amount of mercy, which means if you think that you've done something or done some things, that you've done so much that God gets tired of you, what Paul is arguing is that that God does not exist. God has more mercy than you've got sin. God has more mercy than you have story, that you have history. He's got a whole lot of it. He never runs out of it. So when you get to the point where you feel like, man, I can't have one more prayer of forgiveness. I can't repent one more time. I can't do this one more time because God's not going to forgive me. The God of our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our God, that's not him. That may be somebody else's God. Somebody else's God may give up on his kids. Somebody else's God may not have enough mercy. But your God has a never-ending amount of mercy to give to his children, not only for you, but also for the people whom you see each and every day who have yet to profess faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The mercy that we receive, brothers and sisters, they are receiving it too. He has an endless amount available. And he's rich in it. Why? Because he loves us so much. And so we once were dead, but because he's rich in mercy and he has a never ending amount of it because of his great love for us, now no longer are we dead, but Paul says we are now made alive. You have been made alive together with Christ. With Christ. The imagery here is this is basically the fact that we were dead because of sin, but when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he also took the penalty of sin to death's grave, to hell for us. He rose back up alive, overcoming the power and influencing it. And when he raised up, he brought us with him. We have been made alive together with Christ. With Christ. At that point right there, man, I, I got caught up with just thinking about it. The fact that the sinless Jesus who walked the planet, led a perfect life, who was bruised, beaten, and suffered, bled, and died for us, we get the benefits of life with him. If you read in Romans, Romans chapter 8 is a wonderful part to study some of this. He tells us that we are not just heirs, but we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We reap the benefits of, of sonship, of childhood with our Father next to Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he lifted you up with him. And sometimes, man, I, I think that... We have these conversations and just that maybe, maybe they get old. So we need to talk about things that are a little bit deeper. But that's kind of what brought us to this place. Matt and I were talking and, and we feel like, man, there's so many of us that we talk to on a regular basis that you don't know that that's your story. 
You don't know that you've got life and that Jesus died so that you can have life and life more abundantly that you no longer have to be a slave to the things of this world. You no longer have to be a slave to sin that God raised you up. And God raised you up for purpose. There is purpose to your life that he wants you to exist. But if you believe the story straight from the pit of hell, the stories from the enemy that you are less than, that you are the tail, not the head. If you believe the stories that you are condemned, you'll never be able to walk into the truth and the reality and the purpose in which God called you by. Because you believe the enemy story, what the Lord says about you. And the Lord says, I've raised you up with Christ. I've raised you up above and beyond. I've raised you up for purpose in this world. I have lifted you. And the only thing that God wants us to do is to make that our story. That's the God that we need to know. That's the God that Paul is talking about. That's the theology that he wants us to grasp. That our present position is that our past no longer defines us. That our present is about the fact that God has called us up above and beyond those things which we have allowed to condemn us for so long. And then lastly this, our prized possession. He says, for grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, prepared, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace, we have been saved through faith, not by works, Paul says. So here's what I love about it, man. It's nothing that we've done. Christianity can really be summed up in one, one, one line. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's done. And if you can wake up every day allowing the testimony that comes from your lips to be, it's not about what I've done, but today's about what he's done. It's not about what I do, but what he's done. If you allow that to be the testimony then that's when grace becomes to come alive in your heart. When you understand his story is greater than your penalty, greater than your past, it's not by works, but by grace that you've been saved. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, that's what gives us life. That's what tells our story best. That's the grace, man, that Paul is talking about. That's the grace that we want you to understand so that you no longer have to bear the weight, the load of life on your own shoulders trying to make it happen. So let me tell you what this looks like in practice. Matt, come here for a second. Feel man? All right, he's, he's limping a little bit, but we're 40, and this is kind of what happens when you turn 40, right? Yes. All right, so the, the, the average believer... Through our lives, man, we're, we're trying to reach a destination, right? And, and, and let's just say, man, that the end of the stage is your destination. So just back up a little bit, right? All right, so, so here, here's what happens. Um, we've we've got to get to the end of the story, and, and Christ has given us everything that we need to get there. 
But rather than just walking towards what Christ has called us to, we say, well, listen, man, I really could go, and I really need to go. But, uh, man, listen, man, I, you know, last week, man, things kind of went rough. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going, but, I, you know, sheesh, man, this, this kind of, I, I got to handle this before, before I get there. And, uh, man, man, thinking about last week, man, um, sheesh, how about last night? Um, that got kind of kind of rough as well. Not only last night, uh, uh, man. Now I'm thinking about my childhood and 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 some of the mistakes that I've made, man. And I'm thinking about the fact that you know you know mama mama wasn't there, daddy kind of left me, and so uh, you know all this is kind of happening all at the same time. Things are kind of getting rough. I'm I'm getting there, you know. But uh, there's you know I got some things that's just really I got I got to deal with this stuff. You know, if I'm going to make it, because if I'm going to get there, you know, I got to kind of do it by myself. I know that Jesus said that he would carry all of my burdens if I cast it on him. But, man, I got kind of, I got a lot of stuff right now. And, uh, and I got a lot of stuff. I'm going to get there, but I, I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this. Now, the question, Matt, with all of that that you have right now, in order to deal with it, what do you have to do? You have to sit down. But rather than us setting it down, you know what we try to do? And we try to make sense out of it. (laughs) We, 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 We try to make sense out of it. We try to connect the dots. Well, the reason I'm carrying this is because this, and God wants me to learn it. The reason I'm carrying this is because, and this is because, and this is because, and this is because. But, but when I read the scripture, none of that makes sense. It doesn't make sense, nor is it needed. God doesn't need you to make sense out of your past, out of your story. He just needs you to drop it. He needs you to know that you loved And that whatever you did last night, whatever you did last year, whatever stories that you're holding on to, none of that even matters. He's not asking you to justify it. He's not the courts. He's not past relationships. He's not the church. He's not asking you to step up and to make sense out of all the baggage. He just wants you to walk and to be free. And to receive the grace that he's had for you. And here's what he's not going to do as you're walking. He's not going to remind you of all the stuff that you laid down. He's simply going to say, my son and my daughter, I have wiped the slate clean. Now go and be free. But I discover so many of us, rather than wanting to be free, we want to pick stuff up. Drop your bags, drop your junk, and allow God to be God for you. Allow his grace to cover you. And when you do, the freedom that you've been praying for, the freedom that you've been hoping for, the freedom that you believe in is there. And going back to the earlier line, and I'm done. What makes grace so amazing is that it doesn't make sense to us. But to God, it doesn't have to. His sacrifice and his love makes sense. That's all we have to learn. That's all we have to know. 
And when we receive that, we get access. I'm sorry I messed up all your stuff, Matt. (laughs) I've been very offensive today. I've put grace has covered me. So uh, God desires a church. In, In Revelation, it talks about a church without spot or blemish. And when I grew up, man, the fire and brimstoners would tell us that that means we've got to be perfect. That's, that's not what God is requiring because we can't be perfect. If, if the requirement is for us to be perfect, then it contradicts the rest of Scripture. Then it contradicts the, the work that Christ did on Calvary's cross. So it's not about us being perfect or even appearing perfect. Because then in the 90s, the fire and brimstoners in the 80s said that. And then in the 90s, we said, well, baby, fake it until you make it. And the problem with faking it until you make it is simply this. You lie to God about what you need him to do in your life. So God doesn't want you to fake it. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to recognize his pursuit. And the best way that love comes It's through love realized. When you recognize how loved you are, the natural response to that is loving. And the best way to drop your bags off, the best way to drop the weight is to focus on how much God loves you. And it'll release all the weight, all the tension, all the baggage you can walk into the freedom that God desires for you. Amen? Amen. Come on, stand to your feet.